Welcome to the podcast of Koinonia Okotoks Youth. Thank you for joining us as we study the word. Hello, everybody, and welcome this morning. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at First uh, Kings chapter 7 and the first part of First Kings chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at some more building projects that Solomon oversaw, right? So last week, we saw Solomon gathering supplies and setting up a labor force to build the temple. We also saw him build the foundation of the temple as well as the temple itself, right? What we saw through this is that we need to build a strong foundation as well as we need to allow God to do his work in our lives. This week, we're going to be looking at Uh, Solomon's palace, and then the furnishings that were built for the temple. So if you guys have your Bibles, could you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 7? The sections for this morning are going to be as follows. Uh, The magnificent palace, the furnishings, and the ark. So let's pray, and then we will dive on in. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning, Lord. Uh, I thank you for uh, the book of 1 Kings here as we uh, continue our study. Lord, I just pray that as we uh, read through this these chapters, Lord, I just pray that we'll have open ears and uh, ready to hear what you have to say to us uh, and also help our, our, us to be ready to apply uh, what we're learning. Lord, I want to pray this all in your name. Amen. So, Looking at the palace first off, we see in First uh, Kings chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, it says, But Solomon took 13 years to build his own house, so he finished all his house. He also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits, with four rows of cedar pillars and cedar beams on the pillars. And it was paneled with cedar above the beams that were on 45 pillars, 15 to a row. There were windows with beveled frames in three rows, and window window was opposite window in three tiers. And all the doorways and doorposts had rectangular frames, and window was opposite window in three tiers. He also made the hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits, and its width 30 cubits. And in front of them was the portico with pillars, and a canopy was in front of them. Then he made a hall for the throne, the hall of judgment, where he might judge, and it was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. And the house where he dwelt had another court inside the hall of like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken as wife. All these were of costly costly stones cut to size, trimmed with saws inside and out. From the foundation to the eaves, he also, and also on the outside of the great court, the foundation was of costly stones, large stones, some ten cubits and some eight cubits, and above were costly stones hewn to size and cedar wood. The great court was enclosed with three rows of hewn stones and a row of cedar beams. So were the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the temple. 
Now, we ended last week having learned that the temple took seven years to be built. Right? We saw that this building was spectacular and that the necessary amount of time was used. Right? We start here by seeing that Solomon's magnificent palace took 13 years to be built. Now, at first glance, it seems as though Solomon was taking more time to build his house Maybe because he wanted it to be more spectacular than the temple. Now, that's what I thought at first glance. But uh, I just thought like, wow, wait to st- way to step off the deep end and right into your downfall. Right. But when you look at the dimensions that we saw of the temple last week, which was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide and 45 feet tall, the first building mentioned here is way bigger, it's like double the size almost, of the temple, right? So, there were multiple buildings that took up this palace, and we see three specifically laid out, right? The first one was the house of the forest of Lebanon, which was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. So, even if it took them 13 years to build the house of the force of Lebanon, it kind of equals the same, but they built the Hall of Pillars as well, which is 75 feet long and 45 feet wide. You also see the Hall of Judgment. We also have the house where he dwelt that was similar size to the Hall of Judgment, as well as the Hall for Pharaoh's Daughter, which is a similar size as that one. So the fact that all of that took 13 years, it kind of debunks the whole idea that he's trying to make his house more magnificent than the palace, right? This idea that he wanted a great house is insane, or a greater house than the Lord is insane, right? Solomon was building quite the palace. It spanned much more land than the temple, and he built it in under double the amount of time. So I just want to really, I really want to move away from that idea that Solomon is trying to make his house better. Right, so I want to look at some of the buildings in this palace that are laid out here. The first building we see is the house of the forest of Lebanon, which was the biggest building in this palace by far, right? It was used primarily as a treasury and the armory. And we'll look at that a lot more, I believe, in chapter 10, I believe it'll bring up, be brought up again. But this building, it, it is comprised of four rows of cedar pillars, right? And there were cedar beams attached to each pillar, right? And, and what we see described in verse 3, where it says, and it, uh, and it was paneled with cedar above the beams that were 40 pil- 45 pillars, 15 to a row, it kind of just, it feels like it's describing about 48 chambers around the building under the same roof, right? Whichever way you want to look at it or interpret this, you could say that coming into this house of the forest of Lebanon was like walking through the forests of Lebanon because of all the cedar pillars that were in this building. Probably why it's got its name, the house of the forest of Lebanon. The second building that we see is the Hall of Pillars. Now, we're not told where this building is in relativity to the House of the Forest. 
From what I read from different commentators, it is presumed that this was kind of like a hall similar to the festival of the temple, right? That connected to different parts of the palace, right? Uh, it's more of an entrance, right? Commentator John Woodhouse explained this section this way. Once again, the verse is far from clear for those who are trying to, for, to form a mental picture of these buildings, right? When we looked at the temple last week, there was clarity, right? We were able to draw a picture and Emily drew a beautiful picture of the temple and I was able to hold it up and kind of go through and uh, I could, not like you guys can see on the podcast here, but uh, you're able to go through and see exactly where we're going. It's like, oh, this is the entrance. This is the most holy place and the inner sanction. Like, oh, that's the, the like, you could see everything. It was fairly simple. Now, this building is far more vague. We can't tell where we're going, where, where to place each building on the palace. I can't make a diagram and be like, that's the House of Lebanon. That's the Hall of Pillars. That's the Hall of Judgment, right? So the fact that this is more vague makes me once again believe that there was more attention paid to the temple than there was to this, right? So he wasn't, once again, I was trying to move away from it, but he's once again not trying to make his house better. You know, it's vague. Now, the third measure, third building that we saw, or took, that we came up was, well, it's the, the hall of judgment, the hall of the throne. It didn't come with measurements, so there's even less we know about this construction, right? But this was one of the most important places in the palace, right? Because this was the Hall of Judgment. This was the Hall of the Throne, right? This is where the throne was, and this was where judgment was to be passed by Solomon, right? The very thing that Solomon asked God for, this is the building where he's going to be doing that. Now we're told here, before we move on to the next section, that Solomon built the foundation with quality stones, costly large stones, right? Some 10, some 8 cubits, right? Now, it leads me, uh, leaves me with a question, right? Yes, Solomon knew that a foundation was important for a building, right? He built it for the temple. He built it for his own house. A foundation is a, a, a very important part of the building. Did he, And my question is, did he know his need for a foundation with God? Did he know the need for a spiritual foundation? Right? Unlike his father, David, who is, who is a spiritual giant, known as a man after God's own heart, who did know the need for a relationship with God, the foundation with God, I don't believe Solomon did understand this. He was a very wise man. But, as I said in our Ecclesiastes study, the wisest fool who ever lived. Uh, I don't think he realized the need for a foundation with God. Because, once again, this is the least prosperous time spiritually in Israel's history. Right? So, uh, as we continue on through the study of Solomon, we will see it become more and more evident that he doesn't realize the foundation is a need with God. Right, so moving on here, looking at uh, the next section, the furnishings, 
Uh, we're going to look first at verses 13 through 14, where we will be introduced to the craftsmen of these items. It says, Now King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was a son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a, a man of Tyre, a bronze worker. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and did all his work. So, looking at this man, he is a half Israeli, half Gentile. But he was also the best around. Right? So Solomon hires this man to furnish the temple. Hiram was a bronze worker. This is an important piece of information because the same as like just as the tabernacle had plenty of bronze in it, the temple was also going to have plenty of bronze, but the people lacked the skill required to work bronze. You know, back when the tabernacle was being built, you had Aaron, right, who made all the furnishings because they didn't have to make them constantly. They kind of just lost that skill, right? And during King David's reign, they also gathered a lot of bronze from the surrounding nations, right? Just look at 2 Samuel 8, verses 8 and 10. It says, Also from Betta and from Berothai, cities of Hadazair, King David took a large mount of bronze. Then Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him He brought because he had fought against Hadazer and defeated him. For Hadazer had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. Now what good is all the bronze that they acquired if they couldn't do anything with it? Right? Bronze armor, bronze bowls, anything bronze, but they couldn't reform it. They didn't have the skill. They needed a skilled bronze worker, right? And especially if they're going to be building stuff for the temple. They needed skilled bronze, right? That's where Hiram comes in. Solomon here, he used wisdom to get Hiram. And Hiram, he used his wisdom and skill and understanding of bronze work to do the work required. All right, so moving on and looking at verses 15 through 51, we're going to take a look at everything that was made. Looking first at verses 15 through 22, we're going to look at the first item of bronze made, it's just, which is the two pillars. It says, And he cast two pillars of bronze, each one 18 cubits high, and a line of 12 cubits measured the circumference of each. Then he made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. The height of one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other capital was five cubits. He made a lattice network with reeves of chain work for the capitals which were on top of the pillars. Seven chains for one capital and seven for the other capital. So he made the pillars and two rows of pomegranates above the network all around to cover the capitals that were on top. And thus he did for the other capital. The capitals, which were on top of the pillar in the halls, were in the shape of lilies, four cubits. The capitals 
of on the two pillars also had pomegranates above, but the convex surface, which was next to the network, by the convex surface, which is next to the network. And there were 200 such pomegranates in rows, on each of the capitals all around. Then he set up the pillars by the vestibule on the temple of the temple. He set up the pillar on the right and called its name Jackin, and he set the pillar on the left and called its name Boaz. The tops of the pillars were in the shape of lilies, so the work of the pillars was finished. So taking a look here at the first project, which is the two pillars, we see that they were both 27 feet tall and that they had a circumference each of 18 feet around. They had capitals put on top of them, basically just extensions of the pillar, that were seven and a half feet tall. And on top of those, they had lilies that were six feet tall. Altogether, these pillars were each 40 and a half feet tall. When we look at how, how the detail is described here in these uh, for these pillars with the uh, pomegranates, with the chain work, all made of bronze, and the lilies and all, it's amazing, it really is. There is so much detail just in two pillars, right? That is, a, that is amazing. What we see next is that once they were finished, they were placed in front of the vestibule of the temple. And interestingly enough, they were named. These pillars were so famous that they had names. I think that's pretty interesting, right? So the right one was named Jackin, meaning he shall establish. And the left was Boaz, meaning to him is strength. The pillars were meant to be a reminder that the king was ruling because God had appointed him. And that God was to be his strength. This is a good reminder for us today because we're dependent on God. God's not dependent on us, right? Which then, this now leads us to the next project, which was the still sea, which is basically a bath. It says in verses 23 through 26, it says, And he made the sea of cast bronze, ten cubits from one brim to the other, and it was completely round. Its height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits measured in circumference. Below its brim were ornamental buds encircling it all around, ten to a cubit. And all the way around the sea, the ornamental buds were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. And it was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like a brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. So what we see here is that it was 15 feet from brim to brim. Its diameter was 15 feet, right? It was 7.5 feet tall, and it had a circumference of 45 feet feet. This bath also, it stood on 12 oxen, three looking in each direction with their hindquarters facing inward, right? And there were two rows of ornamental buds on the bowl itself. Now, just to understand how big this thing is, 
It's one and a half feet taller than me, for those of you who have seen me. And it holds 2,000 baths, which is roughly calculated, estimated, whatever, to be 43,532 liters of water. Right? That's a lot. Now, what this bowl would be used for was ceremonial washings for the priests before they could perform the sacrifice. And finally here, looking at the last project that Hiram built, uh, we look at the stands that carried water or the carts that carried water. It says in verses 27 on through uh, 39, he also made 10 carts of bronze. Four cubits was the length of each cart, four cubits its width, and three cubits its height. And this was the design of the carts. They had panels, and panels were between frames. On the panels that were between the frames were lions and oxen and cherubim. And on the frames was a pedestal on top. Below the lions and the oxen were wreaths of plated work. Each cart, every cart had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze, and its four feet had supports. Under the laver were supports of cast bronze beside the wreath. Its opening inside the crown at the top was one cubit in diameter, and the opening was round and shaped like a pedestal, one and a half cubits in outside diameter. And also on the opening were engravings, but the panels were square, not round. Under the panels were four wheels, and the axles of the wheels were joined on the cart. The height of of a wheel was one and a half cubits. The workmanship of the wheels was like the workmanship of a chariot wheel. Their, Their axle pins, their rims, their spokes, and their hubs were all of cast bronze. And there were four supports at the four corners of each cart. Its supports were part of the cast the cart itself. On the top of the cart, at the height and at the height of half a cubit, was the perfectly was perfectly round. And on the top of the cart, its flanges and its panels were of the same casting. On the plates, its of its flanges and on the panels. He engraved cherubim, lions, and palm trees. Wherever there was a clear space on each with wreaths all around. Thus he made the ten carts. All of them were of the same mold, one measure, and one shape. Then he made ten lavers of bronze. Each laver contained forty baths, and each laver was four cubits. On each of the ten carts was a laver. And he put five carts on the right side of the house and five on the left side of the house. And he set the sea on the right side of the house toward the southeast. So there's a lot here written about the inner workings of these carts. And we see great detail and about how they were made. So it's clear that Hiram showed great detail in this work and he took great pride in this work. Right? So these carts each were six feet long, six feet wide, and four and a half feet tall. They had designs of lions, oxen, cherubim on the panels. And each had four bronze wheels on bronze axles. 
The bowls would be placed on the carts, that, and they each held 40 baths of water. Now, I didn't go through and calculate how much 40 baths is, uh, but it's probably a lot as well. A lot less than 43,532 liters, but it's still there, right? The 10 carts were placed beside the temple, five on each side. Right, so Hiram crafted everything of bronze, and he did it so well. Now, are you guys doing what is what God has given you to, you to do to the best of your ability? Now, guys, I want to encourage you guys to seek God and to find what it is He has for you to do. Hiram knew what his was, and that was built making stuff of bronze, and he did it well. I encourage you guys to do what God has for you well. Moving on to verses 40 through 51, which is the rest of chapter 7, it says, Hiram made the lavers and the shovels and the bowls. So Hiram finished all the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. The two pillars and the two bowl-shaped capitals and that were on top of the two pillars, and the two network cover networks, covering the two bowl-shaped capitals, which were on top of the pillars, 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network, to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on top of the pillars. The ten carts, the ten lavers on the carts, one sea with twelve oxen under the sea, the pots, the shovels, the bowls, all these articles which Hiram made for the king for the house of the Lord were of burnished bronze. In the plain of Jordan, the king had them cast in clay molds between Succoth and Zeratan, and Solomon did not weigh all the articles because there were so many, the weight of the bronze was not determined. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of gold, which was the showbread, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the right side, five on the left, in front of the inner sanctuary, with flowers and the lamps and the wicker, wick, wick trimmers of gold, the basins, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the censers of pure gold, and the hinges of gold for the doors of the inner room, the most holy place, and for the doors of the main hall of the temple. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings. He put them in the treasury of the house of the Lord. So what we see here is after Hiram has finished everything that he made, and uh, that was supposed to be made of bronze, Solomon now moves on to uh, having the things that were made of gold. Right, the altar, the table of showbread, the lamp stands ten in total, the basins, the trimmers, the bowls, ladles, censers of all all of pure gold. Now, I want to say this temple project was in a very expensive project because everything was covered in gold, and if it wasn't covered in gold, there was bronze, and if there wasn't bronze, there's got to be some silver furnishings somewhere. Right, And it's so expensive that they didn't even weigh how much bronze they used. That says something. This is a time of major prosperity. Right, So what we see is Solomon completes the work of the temple, and he places all the furnishings in the temple. 
Now, it says that he dedicated it, and that's what we're going to look at next week uh, in the rest of chapter 8. But uh, what we can learn here today is that, once again, there was time and detail taken. Right? We see that there was the same level of detail on the furnishings used for the furnishings as well as the temple itself. So, just like I asked you guys last week, how is your foundation? I ask, how are the little things in your life? How are the little details? Right? We need to be taking great care in every aspect of our lives. So, moving on here to the last section that we have this morning, we see the ark. It says in verse uh, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethian, which is the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the Ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could not could be seen from the holy place. In the front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they were there to this day. And they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. And and when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. So it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. So the first thing I want to see I see here and that I want to point out is that all of Israel is called to assemble in Jerusalem. They're all called to witness the ark being placed inside the temple of the Lord. Right? We also see this see how magnificent this temple is, right? We've seen that. And we've seen how the amazing detail used on all the furnishings and even to the smallest objects. Right? The temple has been in the works since King David. And now it's being completed, and all of Israel is being called to be witness. Now, when I say that it's been in work since David, I want to clarify, uh, David prepared supplies, not the actual temple. He just built, uh, gathered some of the supplies, right? But all of Israel is being called to witness. 
Now that's a that's quite a big thing because uh, it's been equated to like the Olympics, right? The temple is on a mount mountain, right? So you can be seen from anywhere in Jerusalem. But think about it. like if you're like in the way, way in the back, you can't hear them. Right? Like, you see this arc going up the hill to this temple, and it's like you're so far away. Like, that's a lot of people coming to Israel to witness this uh, magnificent thing. But it's not something you would want to miss. Right? So I want to emphasize here why they gathered. They gathered to put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. The temple, though it was completed... And though they had made all the furnishings, it still was not ready to be operated until the Ark was in the Holy of Holies. Right? The Ark was the most important thing in the temple because that was where God's throne was. Or that is God's throne or his mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat is important. You can just look at Exodus 25, 22. It says, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of Testimony, about everything which I will give you in the commandment to the children of Israel. Without the Ark, the temple was just another building. Yes, given a very, very beautiful building, but a building nonetheless. For us, the presence of God is through the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm asking you, are you a building? Are you a building filled with his presence? And I want you guys to look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16. It says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Guys, I want to emphasize, the Holy Spirit is the difference between saved and unsaved. Right? We need to be allowing his presence to fill our lives. Right? So, the ark, they place it between in, in the holy, holy of holies between the two, two cherubim. They also put all the furnishings where they belonged. And we see that after this is done, when the priests came out, a cloud filled the temple. Now, a cloud, it references the presence of the Lord. We see that many times throughout the Old Testament, specifically back when the tabernacle was made. Remember, the Israelites, the Hebrews, were led by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Pillar of cloud always meant God's presence. Right? So God's presence was now in the temple. So right then they could finally say the temple was finished. For God's presence resided in the temple. Now I want to ask, can people say this about us? Can people sense God's presence in our lives? Think on that one as we close here. Uh, in closing, I want to... Uh, there are three things that I want for you guys to take away. I would love for you guys to have taken away from this. First off, number one, Solomon knew the importance of a foundation for a building, but it didn't seem as though he realized the importance of his spiritual foundation, of his relationship with God. Second, we saw the great detail 
that was put into the projects built by Hiram? How's our detail? Right, just like we saw that we need a strong foundation, are we taking great care of the little details in our life? And thirdly, the presence of the Lord was in the temple, so they could finally say it was complete. The difference between a sa- being saved and unsaved is the spirit of the Lord living in you. Right? Can others sense his presence on your life? And I encourage you guys to really seek these. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this the, this passage that we've just studied in First Kings. Lord, I just thank you for uh, everything that we can learn through this. Lord, I just pray right now that we will uh, really emphasize the importance of our spiritual foundation, of our relationship with you. Lord, help us to take great care and great detail on every aspect of our life as well as lord help us to really be seeking your presence lord may your presence be filling us and being evident to the world around us may we be that light on the hill lord that can't be put out lord help us as we go today help us to be be salt and light for you lord help us to apply these things that we've learned i pray this all in your name amen Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or concerns, we would love to get your feedback. You can message us on our Instagram or our Facebook.